You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, so uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to know, when did America become a bunch of weird, <laughs> stupid fucks? <laughs> that's an actual quote from this episode. True words from this episode. <laughs> from a guy oh that's God. not living in America. That's right. the only hint I'm giving you. As far as the whereabouts space. of David Aberdeen, one, I, I had a, I had an actual open for the show, <gasps> ladies and gentlemen. Now accepting the award for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on behalf of Pearl Jam, David Aberdeen. That's, that's what never happened. That's what, that's what we'd but like should to have hear. happened. Yeah. Well, I not like to hear. I think it's like justice. You know what I mean? It's 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 like remember how Kim Kardashian went to the fucking White House and got like that chick released because like you know she was like wrongfully accused or like. She had like, I think it was a long drug like charge or something like that. Uh, this is clearly more heinous than that. Like David is doing life of not being respected because people have just shunned him from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I feel like Kim Kardashian should probably go to the White House and say something about it. And then Kanye can rip away the fucking microphone and also say something about it. Being in your head must be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> what's like, what's it like being in Axl Rose's head? Because that's what David talks about. If you guys want to know, like, David, okay, knows. So this, David knows. This is actually the most important thing that if you take besides that, is that if you've ever wondered about Guns N' Roses, because like, here's the thing is, Guns N' Roses is like Fight Club. Like, I feel like everyone, I, I know, I've met multiple members of Guns N' Roses. And even like, I feel like if you went and talked to Slash now, he's like, eh. other than like the things he gets to read off a cue card that Axel maybe feeds him. And I'm sure he'll, he'll hear this sometime. I'm sorry. I love Slash. He's literally my favorite guitar player. But no one talks about Axel Rose. <laughs> and David, like that, he's like, I had phone calls for hours a day for months. Like, yeah. What, what was that yeah. like? They, they were, they were tight. They, they were tight. Yeah. David talks about how Axel kind of almost trusted him with the band uh, while, while they were working together and uh, put a lot of faith in him. Uh, but he also talks about how things kind of fell apart as well. Yeah. He really humanizes a lot of these people that we see as just characters. You know, it's like, it's so interesting to hear firsthand what it's like to actually know the human behind Well, I, I didn't this, realize you know? I'd ever have an allegory for Tinder as far as with Axl Rose, but I feel like he ghosted David. You know what I mean? They had a few good dates. Things went really well. Like, you know, they super liked each other for start. And then like next thing, you well, know, like it's like, David saying, also like let's kinda, be in a relationship. David kind of got the, he kind of seemed like he had, uh, he may have also had a hand in that, in that separation as well. Uh, how well, do you yeah, it? I you mean, checked him out. <laughs> the fact that he only brought a cowbell, that's his preparation for getting into Guns N' Roses. That's fucking awesome. That's right that's on. what real well, men hey, do. Hey, let's not give away too much of the story. There's a lot of good nuggets yep. in here, so we don't want to oh, give definitely any nuggets in Guns N' Roses stories, obviously some Pearl Jam info and some stories about him and Eddie. Uh, just another great episode. David's the man. We love him. So here it is. David Aberzies. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry. <laughs> I was just preparing to talk to David, trying to get on that level. I don't know if that worked. You know what? They fucked up this whole weed legalized drug bullshit in America. What the <laughs> fuck? What, I mean, if this movement was real, right? Dig. 
is the problem with smart people stop fucking appropriating in the 70s and 80s and dumb people that's all they had to do oh my gosh the movie idiocracy is a reality was this was i just 2020 on my opening from david yes yes david is starting 2020 go ahead start it tell us so so what they should have done what they should have done is i mean when did america become such a bunch of bunch of like weird stupid fucks in the sense that like i would say you lay css grants in a dumb way of doing things a while ago would have been to introduce fucking education take some money out of the drug thing because they're going to can i just answer your question do you remember alexander alexander hamilton he's on a ten dollar bill you know how he died what no he got (laughs) shot in a duel that guy's on our fucking ten dollar bill and i just want to say when did americans become a certain way no, but he's know. right. No, it's about oh, yeah, education. Yeah. It's he's yeah. right. Yeah, go on, this, go on. That's that's, that's I, I hear where you're going with that. But he might have done some cool stuff before he did that stupid. Well, that's why he's on a ten dollar bill, man. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> but if they would have like said, okay, here's the reality. Here's everyone. Now you're all becoming educated youngsters, teaching you know kids the proper right shit, and then allowing it, you know, people to to just say it's the right thing or it's the right, you know what I mean? It should have been Congress and the Senate and the, 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 them saying, look, we're doing the right thing. We're getting rid of all these archaic bullshit things that are taking all this money from all this shit and put everybody in jail. We're going to let them all go because it's the right thing to do because it's smart. It's like there's, it's just so simple. And with each state doing it on their own, it's created the worst kind of like it's the opposite of what we all used to smoke weed and do you know like you know enjoy it so now you can get it but but it's so it's become so it's such a divisive thing and and it's like it's made colorado smarter than wyoming you know what i mean you know what makes me angry is that so i'm a pothead but i am not a stoner because I played the freedom rallies and all this sort of stuff. And I, I believe in the culture. I love smoking weed. But when someone starts going like, dude, this is like an indica sativa blend, but it comes from like Afghanistan. But one oh, of the things that's cool like, about it. 1992 PRS with a maple top, bro. Well, that's kind of how <laughs> I am all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for just diminishing my value completely yeah, in I'm one comment, you, David. Just, no, You're on, right. Continue. This is why I have problems inside because I know what you're saying is true. <laughs> what you said is true too. Yeah, that stoners are obnoxious to listen to. Talk of wax philosophic about weed. You know, dude, George Washington used to smoke weed, bro. <laughs> he was the father of our country. There's a reason why he wrote the Emancipation yeah, but, Proclamation. Yeah, wooden, he had wooden legs but real feet. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> George Washington. No, 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 it was wooden teeth. Wooden yeah. teeth. Oh, wooden okay. teeth. So, so hold on. First off, wooden <laughs> legs, but real feet. That's do you want to know? Do you want to know? On, Seems no, physiologically no impossible. Google, I want to tell you something. This, this tells you the level of uh, stupid facts. So I have an innate ability to remember useless things. And in 1795, John Greenwood made George Washington's false teeth. And they're supposedly made out of hippopotamus. 
but some people say they're slaves' teeth. And he had a set of wooden teeth, but those didn't work. So what he mostly used was either slave teeth or hippopotamus ivory. See, I heard that the wooden part was just balsa wood that was carved to go over his gums and that the teeth indeed were slave teeth. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. And he had all bottoms across the top. Oh. No, I'm just wow. joking. Oh, <laughs> I was like, joke. that must look strange. I'm still way more hung up on the wooden legs. I don't know. Hey, look, Google it, John Greenwood. True story. Two molars in the front and eye teeth in the back. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like if you're going to have uh, slaves and wooden gum things, you might as well have some fun with it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, why would you go bo- rustle a hippopotamus when you just, you know, you can take slave yeah. teeth? Right, yeah. yeah Thanks, George Washington. Moving All right, on. yeah. From the queen. Yeah. So we've already derailed the conversation. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Ben, for your back. I think we were talking about education at some point. No, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we well, this is came a up history. In the, Don't forget it. No, but it came up in the last episode a little bit, too, that, like, well, at least especially in the United States, there is a bit of a culture of repression and, like, avoidance of, like, well, let's just hide the information because it's going to be fine. But then when shit goes crazy, it's like, oh, well, we were kind of wrong. So you let's just do that. it in a, a similarly repressed way. And it's all because know? the people with without it's all because the people can't do shit regardless of what they say or do the people are they're realizing through trump that they're just the fucking people and the only thing they can do is is you know the fact that they have guns but so not to say to be divisive because we try not to be too political but what is it like from wherever your layer is looking in at the united states now uh, as an American, because I feel like it's, I feel like it's a David Bowie song. And like I hate father, Americans, and as a father and a son and a brother, mm. yeah, and the Holy Spirit and a friend. No, <laughs> 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 uh, because those those people and and you guys, uh, you know, are there. You know, you're in it. You're in the shit show of the European and American shit show, and the fact that you know. China and Russia, are, are, the way their politics are, is they can cast aside people for the good of the party, for the good of the, you know, and America can't do that because in America, I don't have to wear a goddamn mask if I don't want to, because I am guaranteed the right to make that decision. And these people don't give a fuck about science and all that stuff. They don't even watch that shit. All they know is that if somebody recommends they do something, the American thing to do is to say, I ain't doing it. You know, yeah, to be and, yeah. But these other countries yeah. where they're saying you've got to do it and that's it. You come out of your house. We're going to shoot you. Well, those two countries spent the last week hanging out together, talking about what they put in their package as the new, basically the new struck power structure of the most of the, the two countries that still have money <laughs> and yeah. armies and people it's a real scary shit show right now. That's what it looks like from here. Terrifying. And, and the fact that um, here it's different because if I didn't have any money, I could walk outside and be fed and eat. I mean, it's, it's a place where the, you know, the trees, the grass, the, everything is food. Hmm. Um, And it's also a place that is, is, built in structurally as there are little communities and inside the walls of those communities, there's enough rice fields. There's enough to, for everyone to take, be taken care of. And so we they know that there's rice there. 
Well, and probably a culture of empathy with, that doesn't really exist in the U.S., where it's very individualistic, Actually, you know, by you know, and large. It doesn't exist anywhere but on this fucking island, and it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. No, that's, on that's an island with rice. <laughs> All I right, we don't need guess. to try and hone in yeah. on where no, he's No, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm playing where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> he's giving us little hints. <laughs> Mexico. Yeah. Um, the Mexican Islands. A visa. <laughs> it is pretty terri- so, It is pretty terrifying, though. Yeah, I just, I just wish, wish you know, the the parties are so polarized. The, the, it's actually let's get rid of the politics. People that don't smoke weed are still going to be terrified about people who smoke weed. They're not going to understand. They don't want to understand. And they're Americans, so when they're told this is how it's all of a sudden going to be, uh, you know, they, they, there's well, there's a vilification of weed. Because people grew up or so like I remember my mom to give you an example when she was um, in high school She was a valedictorian. She was such a goody-goody my grandfather goody-goody <laughs> all goody-goodies And she told used to tell me a story that when she was going to Wisconsin Mil- Milwaukee Milwaukee with her friends um, They pulled out a doobie and she called my grandfather from a, a, a truck stop to pick mm-hmm. her up because she was so uncomfortable driving with her friends smoking this bullshit 70s 60s weed whatever the fuck it was and then i remember one mother's day and she's gonna hate me for saying this she's like can i can i try that can i try that does it really help does it really help and then she told me the whole time it didn't help and then she sat there like this and then all of a sudden at dinner she starts going can i eat your ice cream can i have that i'm like oh she's 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 having fun and my dad's like don't do that again Yeah, I got I got a seventy two year old guy who said he was a, he was actually a, a brilliant engineer designed nukes when they were first out and all this stuff and he uh, he says why do y'all I don't know what y'all see in that marijuana stuff let's uh, you know I want to try I, let's do it. so he paid and drove us over to score you know a lid and <laughs> we get back to the house roll it up. And you know he's having his seven thirty p.m. libation, and he takes a few puffs, and hmm, I don't know. And it goes around and around, and all of a sudden I'm like going, Woof. "Okay, you know I'm feeling it." <laughs> all of a sudden he says, "I can't breathe." It's like, "Oh shit!" Oh jeez! Oh no! I can't. My swallowing funny. I don't feel right. He went through the full. He's seventy two fucking years old. Yeah. And a scientific Fair mind, yeah. and all of a sudden he got ripped apart just by some Mexican schwagweek. But uh, oh, God. <laughs> you know, it, after it was over with, it was great. Every time he, I don't even know. I how do you drive on that? <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. But he was annihilated. <laughs> just annihilated. You know what's really funny is I used for like two months. I lived with this really creepy. 60 year old don't ask and Wait, he used to tell me 60 or 16 six, 60 don't and he used to and, and i was like 25 and he used to tell me like yo dude i used to like smuggle pounds of grass from mexico on my friend's plane and blah blah, blah. but like he smoked cigarettes like american spirits like you know that he got from the reservation for like a dollar a piece and he had like straight up emphysema in the middle of the night i just yeah. so like no weed for this guy. And he would drink an insane amount of alcohol, like a handle of vodka at a time. And I finally tell the guy, like, man, you're going to fucking die, bro. You're going to die. He goes, well, maybe I should just smoke weed again. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good idea. He's like, can I take one hit? And I had like a little homemade gravity bomb. I'm like, all right, man, be careful. He took a hit. He went like this, and then just falls backwards. Wait, totally backwards. 
shits his pants on the floor. I start slapping him. Hey, man, you all right? He goes, what, 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 what? I'm like, you passed out. I was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm like, dude, go check your pants. Benny, man, Benny, you've had people just, you ask, just slip you acid. Now, I'm, I heard you just say <laughs> you, you, you gave the guy a gravity bong. I'm talking, a homemade gravity bong. So you're talking about a two-liter yes, pop bottle. He's 60. He's an it. adult. He can make a decision. A pop bottle and foil and breathe in. We're not yeah, I was 25. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I still thought it was cool to do like dirty cocaine off a toilet seat. Don't judge me. I oh had a 16 year old do a gravity bong hit and I, I heard that pump, pump, pump in the bathroom and you get that warm feeling like, oh shit. So I go in there and he's laying like, like a sea scorpion out, you know, against the. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't that bad. bad. I'm a little cold spring 16 ounce And my mom and my <laughs> grandmother pull up in front of the house and I'm like, okay, dude, be cool. He's like, <laughs> I got this. I got this. And I let him go and he just goes over head coconut on the sidewalk oh my god oh i'm picking him up like oh shit my mom my grandmother just walked past us is he gonna be is he all right uh uh yeah 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 it's just a little little mild brain damage it's fine uh, well so maybe real quick <laughs> no go ahead go ahead Dave. passed out in the jam room so she thought that's what happened <laughs> i was gonna say for our listeners maybe we should reintroduce david since we oh, didn't yeah. really yeah, start we're off do an introduction, so let's yeah, we're 13 minutes into the show here so welcome to that's right, i'm sure we had them on, on the line uh my name is benny goodman um <laughs> this is my cohort Corey peza who loves miller even though he's not wearing the shirt today i, love, I, love, I don't and doers like and if i mean and, and, and if you want to send him budweiser he'll still say yes to belgium um and we uh, we gotta say thanks to, to siobhan cronin for being here the 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 great um virtuoso violinist that is siobhan cronin until she went to czech republic and realized that she isn't as good as she maybe thought she was which is part of 2020 it's becoming humbled and then third david albersees oh. from fucking pearl jam and just the philosopher honestly i i realize i think i like you even more as a philosopher than i, I do as, as a drummer and that's not saying anything about your drums that's just it's saying fun, that you are a transcendent human being yeah, it's, but I, don't, I haven't mastered the tone of voice to not come out like, you know, holier than now fucking experience. No, you always no, sound very authentic. I, I think you're so honest. It's the, yeah, you're, you're very authentic. I've, I've held Great back stories. Stop you should well you shouldn't hold back now we're on at we're on our our fourth episode with you so now is the time to let loose. <laughs> oh, this was the episode I was going to wear a tank top. Okay. You can go change if you want. Well, I was going to just slowly cut my hair as the thing went on. <laughs> I put your scared You're of scissors on Wikipedia. Like, is that not accurate anymore? What? Did you, I said I put your scared of scissors on Wikipedia. Is that not accurate anymore? You say you're going to yeah. slowly cut your hair. And the, the one thing I took from our first interview, the only thing I took from our first interview was that you're scared of scissors. You told no, me twice. Actually, I, it's, it's even deeper than that. It's not that I'm scared of scissors. It's that I have a weird... Like the weird thing that, that I will only allow someone to cut my hair if they're using those left-handed blunted scissors from elementary school. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I got a lot of questions. Where does one realize that this is how your hair gets cut? Like, were you seven and said there's a certain type of scissor that you need to get? There are like, a few times in my life where I went through a lot in a short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> I read a lot, you know, tried things. <laughs> you know, it was, it was the 80s. 
Yeah, so no need for haircuts anyway. Right. Who needs scissors? Oh, no, all you have to do is walk by someone that had a cigarette lit. <laughs> That's one way to continue. So if you were to say, if you were in a Robert Frost poem and you could follow either Bukowski or Tom, Hunter S. Thompson down a road, which, one, which road would you take? Whichever one um, led closest to somewhere with water and my house. Very practical. Yeah. Very practical. Well, maybe if we could get some fishing in. Because I'd like to <laughs> yes. get fishing in both of those. Let's guys. say, hold on. Now I'm adding another factor. Let's say that the roads are equidistant from water and your house. Um, well, then why don't we just all go together? <laughs> yes. Because Bukowski and, <laughs> and Hunter S. Thompson don't like each other. Well, I bet if William Burroughs were there, they would get along like two peas in a pot. Three peas in a pod, David. Three peas in a pod. <laughs> Four, including you. Pods would be the pod. You're like edamame. <laughs> you know, I, I actually got to sit at William Burroughs' house with Al Jorgensen once. Really? Yeah. What was that like? How does that happen? Um, Al says, hey, you want to go to William Burroughs' house? And you say, you're sure. And by the way, can you, can you just prefer, <laughs> can you preference for the people that are Simple. stupid and don't know who those people are? Um, oh, William Burroughs is are. a beat poet, cultural icon, probably the poster child for opiate and heroin maintenance. <laughs> so basically like the Maya Angelou of don't do that. William Burroughs is a, just a bad motherfucker. That's all. Um, what did he do? What did he do that blew our minds? Naked Lunch was one of his, right? Yeah. Yeah. The talking butthole. I mean, come on. <laughs> He's quite um, eloquent. But, you know, a, a legendary guy. This In the same week, I actually also had lunch with Timothy Leary. And what was so cool is when I walked over to him, everyone's sitting around and we're taking turns going, like, man, there was this one time, man, I was like sitting in a tree and like, this, and, and he was sitting there trying to eat this fucking pasta with a look in his face like, God, I'm so fucking over this bullshit. <laughs> was, you know, he's like, he's like, like I haven't taken enough, tr enough acid to still deal with your bullshit. And so, and I, so I just pulled up, I, I, my friend Flano, um, the guy who lifted, uh, you know, heavy amounts of weight with his dick. Um, for Jim Rose Sideshow. He scooted over, and I sat next to Jim, and, and I said, hey, man. You just casually there's, said that. So you're on the Jim Crow Sideshow? <laughs> yeah, well, so Jim I, Crow Sideshow, Timothy Leary. I drank iced tea through a, th a straw in his penis. We were all having it. it <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the rapper iced tea, the actor iced tea, or the drink no, iced tea? The drink iced tea. I didn't drink okay. the... I didn't drink the rapper iced tea through well, this. Well, it sounded like something that maybe Beyonce would say about Jay-Z, so I didn't know if it was like your eloquent, poetic license. Ooh, yeah, just to be clear, one more time, I was talking about the, the, the drink with a straw. It was not the, the actor or the rapper. Yeah. Um, yeah, Same that, guy, though. I don't want that rumor to get around. You were drinking <laughs> Blabbermouth but, um, next morning. But I sat down, and we had a nice conversation about, like, sitting there having a conversation didn't talk about acid or nothing and it was nice you know it, it was a good week but th so then going over to well, Burroughs, hold on. it's like your axel rose conversation so what did you say if you didn't talk about acid what does timothy lyrically does he go like i think that those are you know sears foam demons clouds at clouds outside what do you think david well i like the I topography just, of this I, restaurant i knew i was talking to a guy who um 
you've been there and done that. And the last thing, I mean, it's like be the most boring shit to hear or, you know what I mean? It, what we talked about, we talked about the difference between a good PA and a bad PA and how some, some catering better cold. And yeah, the day, it was a nice day. It was like the clouds kept going in front of the sun and every time they did, he relaxed. <laughs> but people were still trying to interrupt us and, and you know. And, and did he get, ever look up and go, do you see Charlie Brown? No, he was together, man. That dude was way together. He so that's together. crazy though, because a lot of people who take a lot of acid get like burnt out or crazy. And then a lot of people, well, you know, swear by it because it was so vilified but, because of what happened with Timothy Leary there are only recently. There are different formulas of acid. There are different you know, there's four pole, there's this, there's that, blah, 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 blah. And there, there, there's a difference, you know, and- There's different types of lysergic acid dithalamide, go on. Yeah, just like, you know, just like there's different types somehow of cocaine. It's like, well, I thought it just had- Well, there's, there's good cocaine and then there's stamped then on there's, cocaine. Well, there's good cocaine and then there's whatever that other shit is, Japan too yeah. much. <laughs> but the, the thing is, yeah, no, no, there, were, there are different- yeah, there are different recipes and different. I have a book here behind me, Pakal. It's you. You should get into that. It'll. it'll what what is it? Get into what? Pakal. It's uh, P I C K E L. But okay, it, it, I'll tell you about it more later. It, it's um, he it, it was like the guy who two CB DMA all this stuff. He's the one that that did it, made it. He was the no only shit. one that the government allowed to do it. And then he would wow. have experience. He would then grab a group of people, and they would all dose and document their experiences in a in a scientific and and loving way. It was him and his wife, amazing. amazing. Is that how Fleetwood Mac then, got changes? Um, I think at that point Stevie was. Get, no, I won't. I won't even tell you that story. <laughs> I feel like everything I say, there's an interesting story that like we need to explore more. I know. <laughs> so wait but you never told us what did timothy leary talk about he did we just, tell us yeah well, we just chit chatted we, we didn't talk about nothing and you know, we talked about what was pleasant about that moment you know but it was still one of the most enjoyable humorous hangs i'd had in a long time yeah. so let me ask you who's a better conversationalist axel rose or timothy leary um, well, just from experience, I'd have to say, say Axel, yeah. Axel really, yeah, Axel listens and he's a very, um, he's not as selfish, uh, you know, not as selfish as you, as, as maybe he, he appears. Um, How so? His, Explain, it, human, humanize this man for me because I don't have a yeah, clue. Yeah, that's interesting. He communicates. He, you know, when we speak, he doesn't, it's not like he, you know, he doesn't say things just to hear the answer he already wants. You know, he actually, it's a conversation. And, and, and if he doesn't know something um, and he's interested, he genuinely will express. Well, do you think he's just, just so used to people being yes people because of how they, like the stigma around him that maybe he, no, he, I, he's pleasantly surprised when you say, don't fire me because I'm laughing at you? Well, yeah, I think the biggest difference was, I mean, you know, that's after months of us speaking on the phone together. You, you know, that that was our first interaction face to face, you know. 
where we were talking. We, I mean, I don't know. Was that we like, ten, was that like, was that like, like, you know, Craigslist where you're like, Hey man, let's be in a band together. And like, you talk to each other a few times and all of a sudden you show up to practice and now you're like, this is the real deal. This no, is the guy like, I've been talking like, to. More like a pump and dump. <laughs> a pump and dump. <laughs> I'm just joking. So no, well, it, let me ask, you said four months, you talked to this guy for hours. And then I went back and listened to our podcast multiple times and I got nothing. Uh, total elusiveness as far as what could you possibly be talking about for four hours a night, four to five days a week for months that would encourage you, especially someone that's he's listening to what you're saying. What are you downloading on Axl Rose that he's giving you like good advice or please tell me something. I I basically was, I was just enjoying, um, it's like we were sharing opinions about things, uh, you know, based on intimate things, you know, um, but all in the context of just, I mean, I just felt like we were being real and we would talk about, I mean, you know, he told me about things that, that no one, you know, that I'd heard the stories, but not the real story. You know what I mean? And, and well, give just, me a real story that like maybe Corey, myself and Javon never heard of, um, uh, yeah, I heard growing up. Uh, Did he incite the riot and after James Hetfield went up in a giant conflagration, which is a song on chapter two? Yeah, no, those things were more based on the fact that he had, there was a dude in, in, that was with him, the guy who said, you know, Axel will take the stage when Axel's ready to take the stage. Energy. He was his guru. He was his, his, you know, magi, whatever, right? The guy would go up and have to fly over the stadium in a helicopter to, to get the vibe right before he could radio down that it was okay for Axel to leave the dressing room as long as no one saw his eyes and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was that deep, right? Yeah. Because Axel was, Axel was, well, you know, don't forget a lot of us get into rock and roll because we get out of it the ability to hide from everything we don't understand and then all of a sudden you're famous and you're a front man for a band and people expect you to be a brilliant artist genius and no he was a fucking scared you know i mean to summon the strength he had to go out and do what he did uh and be axel rose i mean it, it was just you know he's a very courageous dude just put it that way you seem to have a lot of devotion to a guy that it seems like a lot of people have a lot of bad shit to say about him and yet you said that here's something you said in the last podcast you said that he would probably deny you ever even played with the band or this or that that you hope you still have a relationship with him why is it still an ambiguous thing like did how did you lose touch with axel like why did it even end it sounds like you guys had a good synergy going well what happened was he after we started working and everything in front of everyone, he said, uh, you know, Duff was still in band dizzy and all this stuff. He, he said, Dave, I, I'm the captain of the ship. You know, the name is his, the, you know, every, uh, the deal's his, all that stuff. You don't um, say, you know, he got all that stuff from the other guys. He bought, he, you know, he got total control of the name. Yeah. He manhandled them. <clears throat> no, no, they, no, they, they, <laughs> It was the name that had like what fourteen thousand lawsuits against it. Really? Of course. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, there were a lot of lawsuits pending. When he announced that he wanted, he was turn, basically turning it over to me. He wanted to go under deck, and he um, wanted, he, he trusted me to steer the ship on course. 
you know, and it, it was a strange dynamic because it was, there was, there was no management. There was no one involved to take all these egos and all these successful players like, you know, Duff, I'm sure he was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And sure, get a conversation, yeah. all these things. So, um, but that, and, and so he was, he was relying on me a lot. And when I decided that I couldn't do it, that it wasn't right, you know, um, that it just, it, it was too, it was, it was one bad, it, it was the opposite of what I needed to be doing. Um, with music and I sent it to him in a fax because <laughs> I wanted to make sure it was it was said right and um, then about four hours later I got a call from Kim Neely from Rolling Stone in New York and she said <laughs> she asked if I was all right <clears throat> and um, I said yeah you know why wouldn't have aged anyway she uh she said she just got off the phone with Axel. And then he called me and literally for two hours screamed. I like put the phone down on the table and uh, my partner Sherry and I, we just sat there two hours before I reached over and just hit off. That Every other word was fuck. I was a dark lord sent to keep him from bringing light to the world. I mean, really intense. Well, it sounds to me like he wanted you to be his confidant. And you basically, like, that's what he did. Trust fall into you, David. I think I was, I think he, you know, I know he trusted me. You let him down, dude. Well, not not in a bad way. It's he he put like way too much on your shoulders because he says he wants to be bigger than the biggest band was in the world. I didn't know he would, he would get, I didn't expect him to blow out like that. I expected us to converse and, and, you know, yeah, I would have still been a part of it or whatever, but I really felt like just, you know, what I was feeling about the music and where it was going and what it could be that would help him versus what he wanted it to be. You know, I, what was I, that conversation? So what did you think would help him versus what you were doing? What I, would have I helped him? What would help him was to put out a fucking unbelievable record that he's the fucking, you know, his band, mm-hmm. you know, not Slash's Snake Pit, <laughs> not, you know what I mean? But actual fucking, the music that was happening when I was there with Podboy and all that, it could have went where it should have, which was, I mean, Axel had, in Guns N' Roses, I didn't feel like what he was, the emotions and what he was trying to say, and it didn't really fit that bluesy rock thing. I think he needed something that was way more where the music was, enforcing what well slash is a very unique guitar player in that there's not a lot of people that can do the blues thing in the style that he did in guns and roses and be successful um the way that he was because he's he's a blues shred player i mean not to say shred but he's a he's a he's a really fast technical blues player much more than a bb king or an eric clapton in the sense that he literally murders it on the hollywood scene when you had everyone doing the finger tapping eddie van halen shit he was doing the pentatonic scale in a very cool way so yeah it, it, it you can't do that type of guns and roses in my opinion at least without slash because it's well, like saying you want to do arrows without joe perry well that was the thing we would do these songs that were new with you know Podboy, you know he's he is nine inch nails in my opinion. That he's programmed all those drums for all those years. And Robin Fink, the guitar player, I'm, I mean, he was playing with Cirque du Soleil when he came to us. And so wait, know, Robin was, Fink from Nine Inch Nails was yeah. playing for Cirque uh, Cirque well, du Soleil. Yeah, and, and Podboy. 
And then I brought him in. You know, he was brought into the fold of. Uh, Through you? The GNR thing. No, luckily, right before with me. It was like, ah. yeah. And um, it was mentioned of him. And it was like, oh, absolutely. And then when I met him, I was like, Phew. I mean, it's the first time I've ever met someone um, in that format of presentation that was charismatic and you just i mean he was a star you know he was a, a fucking yeah he came in he's like six he's great five, guitar player honest no eyebrows and when he put his guitar on it was just like his fashion with it was it was sick it was just off it was off the charts very charismatic player you know and and uh pod boy is the same way <laughs> and duff with that music was the same way. It was just a different, totally different thing. So was, so was Duff offended? Like, like you said, it kind of alluded to it, but you know, Duff is a, is an original member. And obviously like you would think if someone's going to have like the ship to rebuild a, a band, it, you know, Axel would hand it off to Duff. Do you think Duff was upset by this? Well, don't forget Duff had already at this point sold his interest in Guns N' Roses. Yeah, but still, but wouldn't you think that well, he would still I'm be Duff. the next in line? Well, don't forget though, well, Dizzy. Well, I mean, Dizzy was a keyboard player, but he wasn't on Lies, and he wasn't on Appetite for Destruction. He came in in the Illusions, and and a lot of people think that that's the Van notice, Hagar era of Guns N' Roses. Did you notice how, um, like, incoherent and fucked up Duff was during those successful years? But he's, you know, Duff. Duff's sense, you know, it, he's really a re remarkable recovery. But his. Um, he was so wasted because the, I mean the band was put together. Greg Gilmore from Mother Love Bone was approached to be the the first drummer, but he didn't have the look that the label was looking for. You know, they, I mean they weren't they weren't really they they didn't meet in high school and put it together. You know, they were they were mm -hmm. a product thing. They were built by an idea and a marketing strategy. And Izzy Stradlin wrote a bunch of great songs and yada yada yada. Craziness. Izzy Stradlin is, again, a perfect example where a lot of people don't acknowledge his element because if you listen to those first records well, and, you know, you're it, 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 the, the bounce back and forth. But that wasn't his role. He was getting paid for his elements, but the, the fashion of the band was Slash. So, you know, is he it, just like Hamilton and Aerosmith, you know, he's the one that wrote those riffs. Or not Hamilton, excuse me, uh, Brad... Um, you're in Boston, right? Brad. Um, oh, Brad Delp. Yeah, no. What? Aerosmith. Not, not the band boss. You're talking about Whitford? Brad Whitford? Brad Whitford, the guy who yeah. wrote Aerosmith. Yeah. Aerosmith ever. But, you know, um, <laughs> the fashion of the band, he, yeah, he's in the back, just like Malcolm from ACDC. <laughs> mm. So this is all to say that your idea for the direction of the band was different from what? Axel wanted or is that where the division started well, the division started when it was like we're not this isn't Guns N' Roses music this is mm -hmm. this and, and I thought it was actually something that could be even you know more you know more maybe not as successful but more important to to be created and and I thought if Axel was courageous enough to do it himself you know um just to, just as a as a 
as, as a record for himself, just put out a solo record, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I still think he could have went with his name and still played those huge shows in Rio um, with a real uh, a band that had music that was integral that could pull off the exciting performance of those gun songs too. Can you explain something to me? Because you were there again for the big, the genesis of the, the Chinese democracy thing. But I read at one point that he oh, called yeah. him, he called him Brian May from Queen, who happens to be one of my all-time favorite guitar players. Had him record a bunch of songs. I've even heard some of these demos because you know they were leaked on the internet forever ago. You know, years before the album even came out. And then he goes, Nah. I'm not going to use those 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 versions. And it's not that Bumblefoot, for example, isn't an unbelievable guitar player. He plays on Lost Symphony, Singularity. He's amazing. There's nothing wrong with him yeah, at all. In fact, he's one of the best guitar players on the fucking planet. But why, if you have Brian May fly from fucking England and get the guy that like supposedly inspired you, you see him at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, the whole nine, like it's clear he was a huge Queen fan. Why the fuck would you not release the five songs with Brian May? Why would you... Uh, does that... Explain that. Like, explain that well, Axel okay. Rose logic. It's the same. It's the same. It, it it would fall under the same reason why he wouldn't put out a, a even an EP of this powerhouse of a band under his own name. Um, it's because what he did with Brian May wasn't Guns and Roses, and he mm-hmm. still I mean, he owns the name. Uh, he has all the responsibility for all those lawsuits. And, you know, I mean, quite frankly, you probably can't afford to be, uh, you know, whatever that Brian May stuff. It, it just wasn't, he couldn't call it guns and roses. So, mm-hmm. so going back to the, the two hour phone call you were talking about. So what happened after that? I Was that he, it? Just I heard he pushed a couple thousand gallon saltwater fish tank over. Wow. What? Really? Yeah. Jeez. And then that was about it. Uh, yeah. He had, I guess Josh Freeze came in and uh, right after me, and um, you know, basically the the thing was that I, I just was not to be mentioned. But I think I think you know it's a, a testament to the fact that you know we did. There was a, a real um, camaraderie. Um, a trust there between us that that he never publicly you know because he's you know if he has a problem with somebody he typically comes straight at him whether it's in a song or um uh-huh. yeah. but yeah the fact that he's never yeah it makes me think that he understood where i was coming from and maybe you know i mean i understand his reaction because I understand him. So maybe leading me to that. So let me ask you this. So let's say Axel Rose sees his podcast, which he'll never do. But like, let's say he does. What would you say to him? If we say Eddie's name three times right now, Eddie will see this podcast. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> um, no, what would well, you say to him? Because it sounds like, I don't know. I'm just being a third party omniscient and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds to me like oh, you guys are really good friends. He was relying he, on you. He put he too much out. on your shoulders and now it's let like, him, it well, yeah, let him say, yeah. So it, it, yeah, basically if I got word that Axel, you know, wanted to say hello or whatever, um, you know, that's, I mean, we never really were like, Hey, how, how are you? How have things been? 
um, we were leading up to something. So I don't know how that would go. I think if I saw him, if we were in the same room, um, I, 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 I would feel comfortable walking over and giving him an embrace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he is really a big guy. Wow. I was kind of disappointed when I first met him because he seemed too big to beat up. Wow. It's, it's amazing, though, thing, how it's he... important thing in a rock and roll band that a, a, a drummer... Um, can beat up the singer? Yeah, can come over the kit and just throttle the guy at any moment. <laughs> that's, that's what's rock, that's rock and roll. Right. right? Or give him 17 stitches. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I didn't know I was going to cut him. I just... I wasn't really thinking injury. I was thinking... Take that. Was that the beginning? Was that the real beginning of the end? No. You're, you want to give some context to that? <laughs> You're referencing the last podcast, right? Yes. Yeah, it was the the. I found that a very peculiar I thing. Come around and hit my. I just I felt, you know, I didn't feel respected by Eddie in a lot of ways, but I understand it now. I and mean, we were all going through our own stuff, but, um, and when he returned, you know, it was like we would be on stage. I mean, if you look at any of that old stuff, he and I connected a lot. I mean, you know, we looked into each other's eyes a lot. And every song, I mean, we, you know, we communicated because, and, and, and on such a deep level that I knew, you know, where to take it. I knew, you know, what to expect and, and that sort of thing. I, I knew if he was going to go, you know, what kind of energy we were taking into the next jam, if he was about sure. to, you know, whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> or if he wasn't getting enough, if he was putting out more emotion than usual, than, than I wanted to as well. And so we would connect on those levels and probably did that with the other guys too. Um, but after the show, that to me, you know, the music was the most valuable and most intimate, most honest, everything. You know, it's the way I understood things and it's the way I expressed myself, honestly. So mm-hmm. having that closeness, even, you know, with the whole band and even it, to me, even if it was just my perception, still, um, I know that they knew the value of it. It, it, it surprised me, it, you know, the next morning in, in the hotel lobby, it was just a, hey, man. You know, it was no, there was no... Like a disconnect. Yeah. 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 You know? and, and in that, that, that was... I don't even remember the question now because I haven't... I, we, were so talking, we, were, we were referencing the uh, beginning of the end. The incident on stage, I think, with the uh, stitches was, oh, was, the, the, stitches. Catalyst, was the catalyst. Yeah. It, was, it was like the yeah. and so, uh, versus the one. So, so there were times where on stage, you know, I would, I'd be pissed. I mean, in Milwaukee, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was pissed at Eddie and it distracted from the way I felt about what I was doing. So I grabbed a stack of dough and I was storming around the parking lot hand and just walking up to random people as they were leaving, handing them 20 bucks. And then, <laughs> and then I decided to quit. I got my bag off the bus. I'm wearing wet shorts, Birkenstocks, a tank top. My hair's wet. And I mean, it's like 20 degrees in Milwaukee. And I'm walking across the parking lot. Just fuck it. I'm out of here. Fuck those guys. <laughs> 
And it was because I went on stage and I didn't even know where the rest of the guys were. And then they came on stage and I was like, this is bullshit, man. We're playing in front of 7,000 people. This is like, you know, and we don't even, we don't even see each other before, you know, there was one time we went on stage to play and our guitar player stone wasn't there. He was playing backgammon and he heard <laughs> us gosh. playing and came out and started playing. He was like, what the fuck? So Jesus. I got pissed. I split. Wow. I was the what only world was this like in the nineties, dude, between Axl Rose and Pearl Jam? Like Stone, I could never imagine playing in front of seven thousand people and then not playing because of backgammon. Stone Gossard didn't go on stage because he was playing backgammon. He was just down there, I mean, that's but that's how it was, and I I didn't understand it. But we weren't close enough that that there was, and there was no, you know, our manager loved the guy, let me down a lot, represented the band very well. But what he did was. The band told him how we how things were, and he was the one that said, "This is the way it is." To people, I mean, he wasn't directing us. You know, he mm -hmm. didn't. He wasn't. He, you know, what would have been best for that band would have been, uh, just like you two did. Their their manager tricking them all into getting into a room and with a therapist and fucking remaining a band. That was a great. It was one of the greatest bands. I've ever seen or you know Pearl Jam in those years was a, a force to be reckoned with a live show yeah. I mean it was just real you know yeah and, and, it, and that same energy happened every time we worked together in the studio it was just magic it just the way it was we each did our own thing and it was what worked with everybody else's thing so um, when <laughs> The, it, we got that disjoint. So anyway, I walked back because I was freezing and realized how stupid I was. <laughs> Twenty bucks in my pocket, you know. I wasn't a member of the band yet, um, so I went in and I told Eric Johnson or Terminator, I said, "I need to see everybody. You know, we need to talk." So we had this small little dressing room, and um, everybody was in there. And I came in expecting to go, "Okay, blah 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 blah," and as soon as I walked in, they attacked me. Oh wow. Fucking, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eddie said, I asked him how he's doing too much. It's like, I'd see you in the morning. You say, Hey, how's it going? And then later that afternoon, you walk up and you say, Hey, how's it going? Okay. And then what a strange Stone, criticism. <laughs> Stone, you know, and Mike, they said, you know, you call our, our room on days off and see if we want to do anything. If we want to do anything, we'd let you know. It's like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. I'm just standing there going, Were they what? always like this, or did they turn into this like well, as soon as fame hit? I don't, I don't know because we 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 didn't fame didn't hit yet. You know, we were on so the, so they were it. like this before the fame. I, it's just they were like this that day, that day. Uh -huh. Um, and you know, and it was so it was like that, right? And so I'm just sitting there going, "Holy shit!" And then uh, I, I said, "Well." how about if we just meet in the dressing room 10 minutes before we go on stage? That's all I ask. We can all be in the same place and go together. Okay. And that's what came out of that. So then we started meeting yeah. in the dressing room 10 minutes before we went on stage. <laughs> Did the dynamic improve? On stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
because you know all of a sudden i felt respected um mm-hmm. in, that, in in that but i also saw the difference you know like us going up on stage together it, it everything changed at that point you know uh it it took on more of like it was us experiencing this rather than individuals you know because mm-hmm. we're sure. I, you know for me i didn't really know these guys except for the the odd stories and the quirks um so my relationship with them was strictly on the stage I and mean, we didn't rehearse <laughs> we, we never rehearsed i mean we would take two months off and then you know me play jeremy at sound check and then that night um eddie would drop a sound check a, 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 a set list of songs that, oh shit i haven't played that one in a year two years <laughs> yeah um but yeah it was, it was an interesting interesting band <laughs> yeah well i think um, you need that level of, of a t- having a team or that camaraderie to to have that magic on stage and like it's interesting because it makes me think of like my personal experience as a violin player like a lot of the biggest gigs that i've played let's say like trans-siberian orchestra i've always been kind of on the periphery you know you're kind of the violinist or you're playing in a string group and it's like okay the the instructions are here's the music you know, go on stage, like don't interact with people, don't try to talk to people, don't bother anybody. And I'm like, well, wait, I mean, if I'm making music with someone, I want to understand like, what is it that makes them tick? Like, what's their personality? What do they love about this piece? Like, I can't have an experience with someone on stage, a guitar player that's on the other side of the stage in a giant arena, if I feel like that person's a stranger to me. And I always thought that that was so weird, like this weird sort of management, like putting people in pods or like, leave me alone, like don't interact. I mean, that's not, I, I never understood that, you know, because that, that making music is all about like the human experience, you know, and relationships. Yeah, right. And it's a trip to me because it's like, there were bands, rock and roll bands that were like that, like Aerosmith. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would say what you just described is probably what it's like for them on stage together now. Oh, yeah. we could just, probably get right into that at some <laughs> point. Oh my God. That's one thing I love about the stones, those guys are still, a family they still laugh at each other i mean they have inside jokes that go back 50 years that still every <laughs> night when they play like mike and sure. i had inside joke every youtube video you'll see mike come over and look at me and i'll look at him and we'll both go because <laughs> <laughs> we both we both saw when we were little kids we were both exposed to a trailer for a porno on beta tape <laughs> it's a it's, it's erotic and it had a candle and a vagina and it went poof and it blew the candle out <laughs> i was like 13 bro wow. but mike and i bonded over that story so it's just like you know but there are there are groups that don't interact and it blows them on but those are those are performance those are shows yeah they're not like bands they're not you know mm-hmm. it's a production it's a different yeah, I, yeah absolutely well, but do you think you could be a band and a production because i feel like star set is a pretty good balance between absolutely. being a straight up production like like a broadway play level production but at the same time doing all the tracks live and really having at it and even though it seems like it's fake it's really not that fake it is. I mean, yeah, it depends on the balance of what, what goes fake. on. And it, no, no, I'm saying you're right. There's a balance. Like it is achievable, I think, you know, and it just depends yeah, on how the person. Look at Pink Floyd, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Sure. Oh, yeah. And it just depends on whoever is really running the show, how they balance, you know, what attention is given to the production and what attention is given to, you know, playing music and creating yeah, a culture, all, you know. All, my eyes were opened when I saw that uh, Sting did that when he, when the police broke up, he did that uh, with, you know, uh, Jones on bass and all this, and Homer Keen playing drums. Uh, he showed the recording and the rehearsing and then the out, you know, the fashion, the outfitting, the stage design, the lighting. He showed that whole process of that first solo album, and it, you know, it it, it tripped me out. It, it's just was like, wow! I never considered that there was someone saying, "Yeah, I think we're going to lose the pink shirt on Omar because it's kind of bleeding away." It's like, wow, you know. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, like having wardrobe and things like that. It, it you know. It's but just, there's also different elements to show where, where, where I agree with you on that. It bo would bother me as far as a live show. Uh, I like, I saw the behind the scenes on nine inch nails live show where they have the craziest um, three dimensional, like uh, see through led screens. And, you know, he was able to manipulate all kinds of stuff where the band would be on all types of stage and do it live. And I thought mm -hmm. to myself, this was one of the first times because I saw it at Lollapalooza the first time he broke out that um, that stage show. I remember thinking to myself, this was the first time I had seen like the shtick, that the gimmick in Gypsy Rose Lee, where you're like, this is cool, this is fucking cool, because I have him behind the drummer singing into uh, you know, a video camera, but now it's coming yeah. on these LED screens. Bless you. You could see the 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 guitar players behind, and it was fucking badass, and it was all live. And it was done really, really, really well. And Robin Fink. I mean, it goes, it goes even back to uh, when they would hand Peter Chris the roses when he sang Beth. I hear you calling. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they, it was a production. It was a show. They, the, you know, back in the day, they used to create the music and the fashion, like they Bowie, the music and the fashion and the stage and the presentation the producer did all of that and, and presented his production and, and how he wanted to do things. You know, Brian Eno is a genius. I was just thinking, dude, that's weird that you said that. I was literally just thinking Brian Eno between the U2 stuff and then the Alice Cooper. Yeah. What a great keyboard player. Eno. Oh, well, oh, don't get me started. He, <laughs> he is not a musician. He's a mathematician and he plays like this. Oh, his parts are fucking awesome. Is yeah, the point? I love it. You know, he, he he six strings bothered him on a guitar, so he just cut off five of them and just did <laughs> everything he wanted on the one. And he calls it a straight guitar. You know, I amazing. Mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. He he's next level. But oh, but, but you he, should do the Steve like you too. He produces their records because of, you know, they want to go out and play stadiums or they want to go out and do something intimate. That's that approach is taken with the sounds, you know, with with all the theatrics of the audio in the songs, you know. I mean, sure. they, they knew they were going to be singing "Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For" to 150,000 people. That's why they wrote it. That's why it was there, you know. Mm -hmm. And that and that and that just like uh, in Talking Heads as well. I mean, Brian Eno would produce an event, just like I guess it's a similar to, you know, Broadway production, you know, where they're creating the music and the set and the, the whole thing, you know? It's theater, yeah. It's incredible. When it's all I down, was, you just burn down the house. house. I was never a part of that, you know? 
there were my drums, there was my stool. I fucking right. hit things with sticks and it worked out great. Yeah. Yeah. I wow. think I think you kind of embody that that style of rock and roll. So Dan, <laughs> what's inspi- what's inspiring you right now during all this craziness? Like what's you said that you your friend that you want to make this music, but like you have resolutions. You said you're gonna say yes to things this year. Well, like that's a very positive message, but like where were you before and what made that change? I was growing up. How long did that take? Uh, 52 years. <laughs> we're all still <laughs> growing up. I mean, lifelong. Yeah, no, I put stuff up, but no, there were, there were just events and, you know, I, I was in one spot and I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to some completely different spot. And, um, and wow, did I? And, and I did it because I, I felt like where I was at, um, there was nothing it's like all the inspirations and experiences I had that got me to that point um, needed to keep happening. There was more to it, you know? Um, And I knew enough to know that I, you know, I couldn't set a plan of what that was. So I surrendered to the events of however many years it took before music became the only way I could. um, Yeah. All the, the, things that run their course in the way I was doing them. And so the way I look at stuff now, it, it's just, I don't know. I look, I look at music different and, and I, I feel like there's a point to it. That was always my question producing or doing whatever. It's like, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Why should mm-hmm. it be? Why, you know, all this. And, um, and here lately, I feel like, um, I'm closer to, to, I feel like I don't know yet, but there is a point uh, to, to getting back to creating. And, and, you know, what I was wanting to do with Sean in making my own, you know, my record was, um, yeah, basically for, for, yeah, the gamut of, people that I haven't talked to in forever and, and sharing things with them that they would understand. And for my daughter as well, you know, that was yeah. the big motivating thing there. Um, plus it's fun again. Yeah. How, how long did it take for music to be fun again for you? How long was it not fun? Every time I played it, well, it, it well, it became really painful for a number of years, you know, to sit down and play. I would only, I, I would only, sit down if I was recording. I would only sit down if I was uh, performing um, because it, it was really such a, a, a commitment to you know, being uncomfortable. But it, just, it, it became, I, I guess, you know, when Natasha did that and, and I lived in this unbelievable place with a ballroom that Pancho Villa had danced in, and I had all this gear from my studio in Seattle all in there and I was in the middle of nowhere and it was like, wow, okay, years worth of whatever. Well, you know, just, I, I just totally immersed myself in the process of, of recording and playing and seeing ideas through and, and all this stuff. And um, yeah, then, you know, my life got a, 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 the wrong marriage um, and, you know, I learned a lot through, like, 
how much music was a product of my surroundings, emotions, you know. Sure. And, and you know, what I needed to do was get out of that situation and music wasn't going to do it. So, you know, it was just like, it just started playing, but it was always still there. I was always still creating and, 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 and satisfying myself, but it just, it, it, it was, I, I, I knew what was, what felt right, what felt good and what was rewarding. And those things weren't there for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you know, again, it, it music came from me not understanding and it being something that I had, uh, you know, an understanding of. <laughs> and so here I was in a situation that I understood and I understood that music had no role in it. Mm-hmm. Sucked. Yeah. Can imagine. <laughs> well, it's I mean, lovely anybody, to hear that anybody you're who's, anybody who's married and it's the wrong thing. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I know. I think that's great advice. I think a lot of people feel stuck or powerless. And I think you don't realize sometimes how a toxic environment, regardless of what or who it is, can can totally drain you from your purpose. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. And And also be the inspiration. Once once you, that's it. I mean, everything is the inspiration. And Mm -hmm. once, once I got, you know, I didn't get away from the influence of the, of the, of that poor decision. Um, but you know, once I got away from it, <laughs> it, it, you know, yeah, it, it added to the palette, you know? Yeah, sure. sure. That's pretty incredible, dude. And, and, and I gotta say that like, we couldn't be more honored first off that you, you know, came out of hiding for a moment to come talk to us and to share all of your experiences. Always incredible stories. Yeah. yeah, no, but it's just really interesting because it's one of those things where like, you know, you meet a lot of people and there's a lot of different echelons of bands. And like, again, you're a band, like I had your poster on my wall. I wanted to go see you guys. I had, it, we were talking about guitar teachers the other day and my guitar, te- my first guitar teacher, his idea of teaching me a lesson was sitting me in front of a Van Halen live video and then sending me home with a who bootleg, you know, on like the he hides speed, speed dub. And, you know, to be able to talk to you, but have you be so authentic in a truly inspiring way, in a sense that like, even like when you said something that like, when I listened back to it, cause I listened back to these things obsessively to see how like obnoxious I really am, which is quite obnoxious <laughs> by the way. Um, you said that you weren't, you, you hadn't played a big show in the time period of people just being caught on their cell phones. And I thought to myself like, wow, what, a, what a parallel to your personality. You know what I mean? Like, like there was no quantizing, there was no uh, light on your cell phone. There was no, um, none of this tomfoolery. It was just the real deal. And like you come from a point and you, you said the word organic a lot, but like really when I think of organic as far as people, like the way that your, your mind works, the way that you approach drums and like your philosophy on life and music, mm. it is consistent. It's like Eddie Van Halen's amp. Every single channel is the same, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like you, you literally have a consistency about you and there's like a vibe about what you do, whether I'm sure it's what you do in your everyday life to how you play drums to how you even approach your relationships and knowing um, that wisdom. It's funny how philosophical you are. Not, not funny, but it's interesting how philosophical you are. And then again, to go back and listen to like, say those old records um, yesterday, just for me and to re- and to listen to them with a new scope 
knowing where your mind was at, knowing where the band was, mind was at, it, it, it reopened doors for me in a lot of really cool ways. But, you know, hearing you talk about it in such a humble way, in such an honest way, in such a, a way that's not insulting to anybody, it's just the truth. Like, clearly, it's, a, it's your truth. It's just wonderful, man. And I got I to tip my hat to you because you could be so many different ways than this. And you've chosen <laughs> to be this way. And I, I love you for it, man. I really respect and love the shit out of you for it. And I think that you're fantastic. And I got to tell you, what you did on Lost Symphony for us is unbelievable. And I can only pray that we continue to, to, to make music together. Oh, yeah. Will. There's no problem. And you know, um, <laughs> one day, if you ever want to do, if you do these sorts of things, we can run down any of those records. And I, cause I re, I've got one of those stupid memories. Like, you know, if I hear a crowd on a radio, I know it's a Pearl Jam live show when I was in the It's band. amazing. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, why yeah. don't you choose, why don't you choose records that you want us to listen to? And here's the thing is Siobhan hasn't listened to them the same way that I have. And maybe Corey has I'm to learning. some extent. Yeah, I would right. love to. So it'd this be really study cool. For me. This would be a neat study for her. So why don't you say, Hey, listen, if you want us to listen to verses or here's a bootleg from this show, like listen to that one and you want to talk about it. Let's do a podcast just I on that. that I would love that. I would love that. I'd love to I see Siobhan. Like to, I'd like to do it as a, you know, as a kind of a, a, a teaching retrospective as well. I think you three would have interesting questions after hearing, I would sure. send you a slew of, um, and I'm sure everyone listening and watching would also have those same questions or a lot of the same questions because, dude, this is so beyond interesting. Yeah, I know. We have a lot like, to learn from you. You're like saying like, hey, man, come into the dressing room. Let mm -hmm. me tell you about this historic time in my life. And you're very carte blanche about it. And, and I am almost unnerved at your openness and candid, how candid you are. And it's really cool. And what a great suggestion. It was one of those things that like, you know, um, I was like hoping maybe Marty Friedman or something would do that. And he's like, oh, I don't do, I don't do podcasts. And, like, I get it. I get it. Like a lot of people aren't into that stuff. No, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to talk to me for two hours either. But the fact that you're like willing to come back for round fucking three, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I'll talk to you about it all day. I probably listen yeah, to anything you're going to send me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying Amazing. To Plus, you know, I'm, I'm going to work on my backdrop next time. I think this is kind of <laughs> cool. I, it, yeah, it looks good, man. I, we love it. I think it's great. Perfect. <laughs> all I, like all I did was I, I set uh, my phone on the mic stand in front of the couch. There you go. Well, I think oh, I a mic stand in front of the couch. TV on was a good touch. What do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get some dynamic yeah. lighting. Yeah, exactly. key, Perfect. Key lighting. Well, listen, <laughs> thank you so much, David. I want to tell everybody you've been 2020, but I can't wait. Cannot wait to be the first person to go back with all these two, Corey Paisa and Siobhan Cronin, with David Abruziz from Pearl Jam through the most historical time of one of the coolest freaking bands in the world. And here I'm excited from behind the, the, the fucking nest that is the <laughs> well, drum set I'll, I'll on stage. Songs from other bands too, because you got, you got, you got to hear the stories of Wadi Wattel and Bernard Fowler. And you got to oh. hear the stories of- So not, much not to cover, wow. Hudson, we can't Roger wait. Hudson. Oh, Roger Hodgson from Supertramp. <laughs> Amazing. And so if you guys are, are listening to David, he's selling our next podcast, and we'll set that up after this is all done. In the meantime, <laughs> go to 2020-d.com. Let us know what you think. LostSymphony.com. Hear David coming up on Chapter 2. This is Chapter yes. 1. You can buy all that stuff. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon.
Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.